glad to be here, everyone. So excited to see you guys and to be in the place in Houston. And it's so weird because I like inadvertently kind of wore Astros colors. Did y'all notice that? I didn't do it on purpose, but I think it's working out to my favor. Um, but I'm so glad to see you guys. So glad to be experiencing you all again. I loved my last visit and very grateful for Patrick to invite me back. Um, it's been a few months, but I'm excited to be here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is April Farmer. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat> Excuse me. I live outside of the metro Atlanta area, and uh, I serve as the baptism and care coordinator, care director at Buckhead Church in Atlanta. And so I love that job. Um, sad to be away from home today, but excited to be at my Houston home, uh, which is here. So thank you guys for having me here. I want to give a, oh, y'all so sweet. Yeah. Oh, and I went to Taste of Texas yesterday. I had been waiting to go to that restaurant and it was bomb. So yeah, I'm nice and full. I think I could still not eat for a couple of days. I ate so much. But it was awesome. I want to say hello to all of our friends out at Missouri City, at West End, and at Ramsey Unit. Thank you guys for joining in today. We are excited to be here with you and to be diving into week two of this series that you started last week, Gotta Have Faith. Now, does anybody else think of George Michael when you see that title? Okay. I'm telling my age, gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Okay. But anyway, um, it's a great title. I love the graphic. It's so wow. It's so pow. It's so exciting and energetic. And um, that's exactly what our faith is. This is the faith that, that, that Jesus um, introduced to us. But last week, Patrick started out talking about just the foundations of faith, what our faith looks like, where it comes from. And he defined it and he talked about Hebrews 11. I think he actually invited all of you guys um, to go and to read Hebrews 11, which is kind of known as where you, the place where you would find the hall of faith. You see all of these fathers of our faith and what they did by faith. They did this by faith. This person did that. And so hopefully you got a chance to read that and hopefully you got a chance to kind of dive into it. But basically we started off by defining what faith is. And what faith is, is faith is the confident assurance of things hoped for, and it is also the conviction of things not seen. This is what faith is essentially. It's the confident assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, what faith is not is manipulating God into doing whatever it is that you want him to do or into getting your way, or to getting what you want. And for many of us, that may kind of be what we interpreted faith to be for whatever reasons, whether it was something we heard, or whether it's something we read, or something we saw. But in actuality, it actually has nothing to do with you. And it has nothing to do with me. Faith has everything to do with Him. It is all about believing that He is who He says He is, that He is, that He can, and that He will according to whatever it is that he wills. And so that is what faith is. Faith is believing. Faith is believing. Faith is believing in who God is, in his authority, in his power, in his sovereignty, and it's also responding to and living life according to what you believe and, to, and according to what that faith is. And I don't know about you, but for me, like, I grew up hearing about faith a lot. I grew up in what you would call the faith movement back in the day. 
I, yeah, I'm an old lady. It's okay. It's all right. Um, but I grew up in that time, and so I heard a lot of different preachers. We had a church where a lot of different preachers would kind of come in, or I would see uh, preachers on television, and they would talk about faith, and they were teaching about faith that, that looked like something that you could just get this. It was like a golden ticket. You ever seen Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? It was like they presented faith as it was the golden ticket. It was the answer to all of your heart's wishes and desires. All you had to do was have faith and you could have whatever you want. So much so that actually I tried it. I tried my golden ticket. I think I was probably in elementary or middle school and and I had a test coming up. And I had been hearing about faith. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to test this thing out. Everybody keeps talking about all you have to do is have faith. If you believe, it's going to happen. If you believe, if you speak to that mountain, that mountain is going to move. And so I said, it's time to try this faith out. And so I was about middle or uh, elementary school, and I had this test. And um, I went into this test, and I was like, you know what? By faith, I'm going to ace this test. Now, mind you, I didn't necessarily take time to study for my test. But I had faith because I believed and because I said it, that it was going to happen. And so I go in and I took my test and I failed my test (laughs) miserably. I totally bombed that test. And it was so funny to me because I was distraught. I was really taken aback, like, wait a minute, something's not right. And I came to either one of two conclusions, either God can't do everything or anything, or I don't have enough faith. And so I found myself struggling and tussling between uh, uh, fully believing in God, but I I couldn't reconcile why certain things weren't happening and weren't happening the way that I expected. Things weren't panning out the way that I thought that they should. And I found myself in in this place wrestling with God, wrestling with whether or not He was who He says He was, or am I just insufficient in my faith? And most of us find ourselves sometimes in that place, and perhaps you find yourself in that place too. You believe in God. You believe by faith, and you've given your life to God. But God, but why am I still struggling in this area of temptation? God, I believe in you. I trust in you. I have faith, and I've spoken it, and I've received it. But, 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 but why did I get that job? Why did I not get the job that I applied for? I thought that was mine. I thought all I had to do was say it and it was mine. I thought all I had to do was believe it and it was mine. God, I believe in you and I put my trust and my faith in you, but why have I not received a breakthrough in this area? When they told me all I had to do was believe it by faith. God, I believe in you, but why is my business not taking off? God, I believe, but why is my marriage falling apart? But God, I believe, but why are my children straying away and in so much trouble and chaos? And it got to the point where some of us, we start to think, okay, well, what's going wrong? What am I doing wrong? What is wrong with me? Because if it's not you, God, it must be me. Maybe I just don't have enough faith. And what we find is that most of us believe for, but we fail to believe in. We believe for, but we fail to believe in. We believe for the marriage. We believe for the business. We believe for the breakthrough, but we fail to believe in the God of the breakthrough. We fail to believe in the God of the marriage and the God of the business. We put our faith in the wrong things, and we don't believe, we don't believe God. We believe in the stuff. We believe in that. 
And when things don't pan out the way that we expect, we vacillate between belief and unbelief. We straddle this fence of, God, I believe, but I don't know if I believe this. I believe you can do that, but I don't think you can do this. God, I believe you can do this, but I'm not quite sure about that. And we find ourselves wrestling between those two things. And it's not new. It's not something that just popped up. I love the fact that, that, that this is something that is actually in the Bible. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Mark, that we're going to take a look at today. And it's in this story, uh, we, we, we find that there's this man in the Bible who has this same wrestling going on. And we're going to take a look at his story. And it's found in Mark chapter 9. And as we approach this story, we find that Jesus has already begun his ministry. He's been traveling throughout all these cities and he's been preaching um, this message of the kingdom. And he's been doing all of these wonderful and miraculous things. And so crowds are following him everywhere he goes. And at one point, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and he, he leaves the rest of the disciples and the crowd down and he goes up into a mountain. And he has some time up there and they see God. They start to see God in a different way. And the transfiguration happens. And then right around verse 14, he's coming back down from this mountain. And as he's approaching where the disciples were left in this crowd, he sees them arguing with some spiritual leaders. And he goes up to them and he says, hey, what what are you guys arguing about? And so then in verse 17, we find the story here. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher... I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. They couldn't do it. And so what we see first is that this man's first destination, his initial destination was Jesus, which shows us a display of faith. He has a level of faith. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard um, around town about who this Jesus was and all of the wonderful things that he was accomplishing. So he had a level of faith. And he goes out and he pursues Jesus. But when he arrives... Jesus isn't there, and he starts to explain to Jesus that I brought my son to you. He starts to tell this condition. I I, I know what's going on with my son, and I've heard about you, so I'm bringing it to you. I'm bringing him to you. He has this spirit. But it was something bigger. It was something stronger. It was something out of his control. He could not handle his son. So he brought him by faith, believing enough to bring him to Jesus based on what he had heard. But when he got to where he thought Jesus was, he wasn't there. And so he asked his disciples to drive the Spirit out, and the disciples couldn't do it. And so there we're introduced now to this, wait a minute. I thought you could, and I'm coming to your disciples, and they can't. Some of us have been in that situation. We've heard about what God can do, but then we encounter some of his people. (laughs) And we get kind of let down. (laughs) And it happens to the best of us. And, but Jesus wasn't there, and the disciples couldn't cast it out. They couldn't do it. And so we're, he, we're, we're left with this situation where he's telling Jesus, your disciples couldn't do it. And so then he goes on in the story, and we see in verse 9, he says, I mean, verse 19, he says, you unbelieving generation. <laughs> Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. 
I love this verse because it's like you start to see Jesus's personality come out. Jesus is frustrated. He's frustrated and he's disappointed. He was like, really? Come on. How much longer do I have to put up with you guys? Well, how much longer do I have to be here? Jesus is literally frustrated. And he calls out immediately what the problem is. He identifies them as an unbelieving generation. He didn't say you unbelieving father. He didn't say you unbelieving disciples. He said you are an unbelieving generation. The whole lot of y'all don't believe nothing. Where is your faith? <laughs> he calls them an unbelieving generation. He's crying out like, oh my gosh, like how long? How long is it going to take before you get this? How long is it going to take before you see me? He's like, you've got to see this. You have got to get this before I go, before I leave this earth. I'm not going to be here forever. When will you open your eyes to see what's really going on? You have got to believe in who I am. You've got to believe. And so he goes on and he tells them. It says, so they brought him to Jesus. And when the Spirit saw Jesus... It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And I love that question. Jesus asked him, how long has he been like this? And this question, uh, it, it almost seems like it comes out of nowhere. Jesus always asks a question, though, for a reason. Jesus never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. It's always for the benefit of the hearer because Jesus is God. He already knows. So anytime you see Jesus asking questions, somebody getting set up. <laughs> every time. Every time Jesus is asking a question, somebody is getting set up. And so Jesus asks this question, and this question brings to the surface the impossibility of the situation. That is what this question is doing. It's bringing up the fact that this is an impossible situation. And Jesus' display of concern and compassion just by asking the question brings something unexpected out of this father. We continue to see that he says this. It says, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. So there's a shift happening here. Jesus asks the question and this father starts to soften. Your disciples have thrown me off because they couldn't cast this spirit out. But now I'm hearing you ask this question, and it's a compassionate question, and it draws me in. And he shares, this father shares another level of depth to the impossibility of this situation. He's starting to soften up. Jesus is starting to show himself to this man. And he softens up and he doesn't even just say from childhood. He goes on and he says, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. You almost start to hear this father's desperation coming to the surface. But then as we go on, there's a but. This father is starting to soften. And then we see this. Hope starts to come forth. He says, but if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. <laughs> he doesn't say take pity on my son and help my son. He says take pity on us. He includes himself. He acknowledges that they both have a problem here. 
Both of us are struggling. Now that I've heard and I've kind of seen and gotten a taste of your compassion, maybe you can do the impossible. Maybe you are the one I was supposed to be going to in the first place. But it's not just my son. It's just not his situation, but it's me too. There's something going on in me that I'm wrestling with, and I think you see it, Jesus. I, I, I think you see this. And Jesus then identifies and addresses the exact same problem that he saw with the crowd, and it's their unbelief. And Jesus says, if you can, Jesus said, if, if you can, Everything is possible for the one who believes. I love that question. It's like Jesus repeats to him what, you, what he just said. He was like, gotcha. If I can, you, <laughs> I love Jesus. It's like, Jesus like, huh? Oh, you don't know me. You, you, you must not know me. You must not know about, okay. You must... You must not know who I am. Obviously, you don't have a clear view, a clear perspective of who I am. And notice that the unbelief isn't about what Jesus could or couldn't do. It was about who Jesus was. The problem wasn't the sickness. The problem wasn't the demon. The problem wasn't the convulsions or how long it had been happening. The problem was his unbelief in who Jesus really is. That was the problem. And it's like Jesus is saying, I know the disciples couldn't do it. I get it. I understand where your unbelief comes from. But you must see who I am. You have got to know who I am. And so Jesus makes it clear that unbelief, that this, the belief in me opens up possibilities beyond your wildest expectations. He actually extends an invitation to him to have faith in him. If I can, dude, <laughs> everything is possible to those who believe. Hear this, though. Everything is possible. Everything is not guaranteed to happen your way. Everything is not guaranteed to pan out the way you expect. But with me, everything is possible. I just need you to see me for who I am. And so then he goes on and it says, immediately, the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And this is exactly where so many of us sit so many times. Help me, God. Help me to see you for who you truly are. Help me to see you bigger than my situation. Help me to see you bigger than my circumstance. Help me to see you bigger than my sickness. Help me to see you bigger than the report. Help me see you for who you truly are as the savior of the universe, as the Messiah, as the promised one. Help me see you bigger than I could ever think or comprehend or imagine. And then it goes on and it says this, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. 
Jesus responded to his honest declaration of struggling, of vacillating between belief and unbelief. And Jesus met him exactly where he was. He met him exactly where he was. And don't miss, don't, don't miss what's here. Did you notice this opportunity for continued unbelief? Look here, it says the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. He didn't just instantaneously come out. The demon actually shrieked and convulsed to the point where the man, where the boy looked like he was dead. And I love that the author marked that he left that in there because so many times we want, we want things to happen exactly the way we want it. We think when God says it now, it's supposed to happen right now. I said it, I believe it, it needs to happen now. But Jesus had already spoken healing. Because so healing was already his. Hear that. Jesus had already said it, so it was already his, but it didn't look like it. The circumstances didn't immediately change. The condition actually looked worse. It said he looked dead. But Jesus had already provided healing. And this is where so many of us get crossed up when it comes to faith in Jesus, because it's not working out the way I expected. He is not a genie and you don't have a lamp to rub. He is God. He is sovereign. He is creator of all things, including you. And God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. But the issue and the problem or the focus cannot be the problem. It has to be your faith in him. And and this is very important. Oftentimes the healing doesn't look the way we expect. But it doesn't mean that healing hasn't already happened. The promise has already been made. And so faith is not belief in the promise. Faith is belief in the God who made the promise. That is what faith is. It's belief in the God who made the promise. And if our belief and our trust and faith is in the God who made the promise, we can trust and rest in how he chooses to fulfill the promise. We can stop right there. You know, back in 2006, my father had a stroke and he lost use of his right side. And we were all troubled. We were all worried and stressed out about my dad and like, oh my gosh, no, but we believed by faith that God was going to heal him. And so we were standing and praying and he was restored, but he still had loss of his right function of the right side of his body. But we were believing in faith. And then a couple of years later, he had another stroke and then he had a heart attack and then he had to have quadruple bypass surgery, but we're standing and believing in faith. God, what's happening? Why does he get sicker? I thought you said you were a healer. Why is he still sick? Why is he getting worse? And all through that, my dad was standing in faith. God is a healer. I'm already healed. We're believing it in Jesus' name. God is a healer. I'm already healed. We're believing it in Jesus' name. Then his kidneys stopped working. And he had to go to dialysis. He didn't qualify for a transplant because of all the other comorbidities going on in his body. He had heart failure. He had clogged arteries. He had so many things going on. And so for 12 years, my father went back and forth to dialysis three days a week, four hours a session for 12 years. And in the midst of all of it, I watched my dad worship his faithful God at every dialysis session. 
He had his iPad and he had his music and his right side wasn't working, but that man's left side was worshiping. <laughs> Woo! Come on, Jesus. And he took it every week and everybody in dialysis knew Mr. Barron's coming in and he's going to have his music and he's going to be worshiping. And he would go to church and he would worship with his left side and he went every week. And sometimes it would overwhelm him. And sometimes I'd call my dad and I'm like, dad, how are you doing? He's like, today's not a good day, honey. He said, but I give myself 24 hours to be sad, and then I'm going to get up the next day and I'm going to keep going. Because he had faith in his God, not in his circumstance, because God already told him he was healed, but it don't look like you're healed. But I watched my dad continue to serve and love his faithful God. And then in 2018, at 40 years old, 41 years old, I had a stroke. I had a double hemorrhagic stroke. I had a brain bleed here and here. I couldn't read. I couldn't recognize my children or my husband when they came in the room. I had to learn how to read again. I had to learn how to put words together again. I had to go through rehab. I was in the hospital for weeks and rehab for weeks. But I saw my father do in sickness what I then knew what to do. I knew that when I was in the hospital, I'm going to turn my music on and I'm going to worship my God. I remember being in the ambulance when it was happening on the way to the hospital and my head was, I mean, it was enormous pain. They call it a thunderclap headache. It was enormous pain. And all I could say was, well, God, you got it. Because ain't nothing I can do. But I watched my father demonstrate to me how you serve and you walk by faith, even in the midst of sickness, disease, and chaos. And God restored my body. I'm standing here now talking to you. He restored my body. Because healing belongs to me. God told me I was healed. He said healing is the children's bread. But my father was still going to dialysis. And this past Saturday, we celebrated my father's homegoing. This past Saturday, my dad went home to be with Jesus. But what I tell you is this. When I got to the hospital, my brothers and I and my husband and my mom, we were standing around my dad. And it was like the, the palliative care team, they came in and they told my dad there was nothing else they could do. And my dad, it was almost as if I saw my dad saying, yep, I figured that. All right, I'm out. Literally, he was like, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'll see y'all later. And then they transitioned his meds to, to hospice medication, and they told us because of the kidney failure, he wasn't going to last long. And so we're just standing there praying, and my dad's looking around like, bye. <laughs> Literally, that's all he could say. He got out, bye. He got out, hallelujah. And he gave my brother a fist bump <laughs> because he knew where he was going. Because he knew that his ultimate healing, whether he saw it come to fruition in this side of heaven, he knew that healing came in the presence of his Savior. And his faith wasn't in whether or not his body got it together. His faith was in the God who said, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's where his faith stood. And that's what faith is about. It's not about in what you're dealing with. It's not about in your struggle. 
Because it may never change, but do you have faith in the God of the universe? That's what matters. So for those of us who are vacillating, for those of us who are like, April, I get it. Okay, I believe, but there's still some things I'm struggling with. How do I allow God to help me with my unbelief? Number one, stay honest. Be honest with God about how you're feeling. Be honest with God about your struggle. Be honest with God about the things that you're still wrestling with. God, I know you said this and I'm standing on this, but you're, for whatever reason, still allowing this to happen. Walk with me, Lord Jesus, through this situation. I put my faith in you. Stay honest about where you're feeling. Number two, study the word of God. My dad read the word all the time and he taught me to read the word. Why? Not just so I could memorize it, so I could know who God is. So that when people come to you and tell you, oh, well, you don't have enough faith because if you had enough faith, this would happen. You'd be like, uh, do you read this Bible? That is not what it says. I don't put my faith in things. I don't put my faith in outcomes. I put my faith in Jesus. And he handles the rest. Study the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is no excuse for us not to, for us to be ignorant about who God is because he laid it out from Genesis to Revelation. It's all right there. So I want to encourage you to study the word. Stay honest. Study the word and submit to the will of God, whatever that looks like. Know that his plan for you is good and it's for your good. All things, the word says, work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It may not look the way you want it to look, but it is good because he is a faithful God. So no matter what your situation is, whether it changes or not, I want you to ask yourself, Lord, what is it that you are trying to show me about you in this situation? When it gets hard, and it's challenging. Lord, what is it that you want to show me about you in this situation? I had a friend going through cancer and she was sending an email. And in the bottom of this email, she said something so profound to me and I will never forget it. She said, this cancer thing is just the next life event for me to connect the riches of Christ to. That is faith. So you fill in the blank. Maybe it's not cancer. Maybe it's anxiety. This anxiety thing is just the next thing for me to attach the riches of Christ to. This struggling marriage, is, this is just the next thing for me to attach the riches of Christ to. See God in everything and have faith in him no matter what. So simply put, unbelief comes from not believing that God is who he says he is. But he absolutely is. So put your faith in him. Not things, not outcomes, but in Jesus, our risen Savior. So as I was preparing this message, there was a song that came up that we want to share with you before we leave. And this song really truly just talks about you seeing God for who he is. To realize that God is bigger than whatever it is you're facing. He's bigger than whatever your challenge is, whatever your circumstance is, whatever that thing is that you are stepping into unbelief about. God is bigger and if you start to see him as bigger, those situations start to fade. Not necessarily change, but the power they have to keep you down and defeated and wrestling goes away. The bigger God is, the smaller your problem is. So let's make God big. He already is. He just invites you to see him the way he is. So I want to invite you to open your eyes, open your heart, open your mind to see God 
as bigger than you could have ever imagined or thought. Because He is, and He loves you, and He's drawing you and inviting you into this space. So we invite you to worship with us as you hear the words of this song. I want to invite you to see God as bigger than you could have ever imagined and worship your big and great God. Amen. God of all creation, you're 
out with me. I will rest. I will rest in the Father's hand. Today I'm going to leave the rest. In the Father's hands. So I throw all. So I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. So I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation. You're bigger than I thought you Father, you are so big. You are so great. You're so much bigger than we could ever imagine. So Father, for everyone here, as we lift our hands and worship to you, God, we surrender to you. We surrender our cares and our frustrations, our disappointments, our unbelief, and we lay it before your feet, God. And we say, God, we trust you. We don't get it, we don't understand, and it's not quite the way we wanted it to be, Lord, but we know that you are a good and a great and a faithful God. So today we choose to put our faith in you and our trust in you. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Give us strength we didn't know we could have. Because, Lord, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So make us strong in you as we cast everything we have upon you. We love you, we bless you, we honor you, we exalt you, we lift your name high. You deserve all that we have. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.